0: everybody welcome to the Rapcast. i'm samson folk whether you're on the podcast channel or the youtube channel welcome this is another episode of outside looking in which is the series wherein we get somebody from another market who covers another team talk about their team and then at the same time talk about the raptors you can learn about the league at large and we can build a consensus on how the raptors are viewed worldwide and today joe holbert who is A guru of X's and O's on Twitter at Joe Holbert NBA, of course, but we'll also have Timberwolves content for you this upcoming season at Canis the SB Nation Timberwolves site. Joel, how the hell are you, man? Yeah, really well.
1: Uh, I'm looking forward to this, actually. It's too light, interesting team. So how are you
0: doing yourself? I'm I'm doing fine. Listener, if you're picking up on that, that is an English accent. Don't be fooled. Joe just does it for the views, by the way, just <laughs> so you're, you're more amenable to his, uh, I guess, suggestions in the basketball verse. But the first thing I want to ask you, broad strokes. You're over in England, and you like the Wolves, and you like quite a few other teams, but the Raptors are a team that you've been catching up on. What do you think of that team, broad strokes? It's the Raptors. It, you know your cliff notes version of it
1: yeah so the first thing i'll say like on the raptors before i like, don't they have a lot of fans over in the uk man i'd say they're probably like a top three team people follow they yeah. got a really good and loyal uh uk fan base so you like they're they usually pick for like uh games that are on tv because they know that some of the fiends like myself but all the raptors fans will stay up and watch it whereas they won't for other teams um With regards to the team, like the main thing I love about the Raptors, and this is something that I kind of noticed a lot of um, when I sort of took a little bit of time away at times this year, was like a lot of teams in the NBA were kind of doing the same thing. It was like they're going to switch hunt in the first five seconds of the shot clock and then it's just kind of go to work. I like how the Raptors do things a little bit differently. Like you've got an extremely aggressive defense like... Just there's a, there's a very different philosophy there. They're not just trying to copy the run of the mill game plan that everyone else is doing. So, in terms of like the build up on the roster, I mean, Pascal Siakam, I know we've talked about Anthony Edwards and I'm sure we'll talk about him later. Um, but I think Pascal's become very over criticized in the last, I'd say, sort of 18 months, two years. I've, I call it like over correction because I think it's there's sometimes you get a sense that a certain group is. Overrating a player, I don't think he was being overrated. But I think when people see that, they try and fight back, but they go too far the other way. And I think Pascal, I watched your episode with Jackson. I'm in agreement with Jackson that he's like a top fifteen, top ten guy in the league. I love watching him. He he was one of the first players who really shaped my my overall like basketball philosophy because, like at the time he sort of burst onto the scene, a lot of teams were just going small all the time. And then hang on a minute, the Raptors are trotting out a six foot ten, six foot eleven, four with Marc Gasol at center as well. Like they they went big and Pascal was just cooking these small ball fours, man, because they were it wasn't even just in the post, like they just could not deal with him. And I thought he was a very unique kind of chess piece, which is that's the main thing I've loved about the Raptors.
0: The chess aspect definitely. I should have. I should bring Lewis Zatzman on. He's. I did minute basketball with him, and we. Man, he loves chess as well. There's actually an interesting correlation between a lot of people on NBA Twitter who have very niche interests in in teams and stuff like that, also being extremely good at chess. Mind you, chess is a really popular game, so maybe it's it's not that in, insane. But okay, so Pascal Siakam helps form your idea of basketball and kind of understanding it through a certain lens. Uh, OG Ananobi I guess I'd ask because he's a guy who sometimes has a British accent when he's in the UK being interviewed and stuff like that it comes out then he doesn't have it when he's in America or Canada but a guy like a countryman technically what are your thoughts on OG Ananobi
1: you know what he's done a lot to sort of he's partially I think the reason that there are a lot of Raptors fans in the UK because like when I first started getting into the NBA in two thousand and eleven. The first thing I did as a Brit looking at my spot, I said, "Well, who who are the British players in the NBA?" And at the time, there were two. It was Luol Deng mm-hmm. and Joel Freeland who used to play for the Portland Trailblazers. Um, and I think like the the job he's done to grow the game in this country is just amazing. Um, and he fits into that sort of unique philosophy that I told you about. But like he's he always comes across very well when he's interviewed about the game in the uk there's like there's other athletes in different sports who they almost get a little bit offended if you try and ask them about the growth of the game in the uk um when like it it's a big part of it because it's it's a very niche interest and there's a lot of people because like over here right if you're growing up you're playing football or rugby or cricket right that those are your sports um and i think people who maybe are into basketball, they'll look up to a guy like OG. And I think that's the side of the game that I, I want to try and bring kind of more attention to because I think he is like, he's an inspiration for a lot of these kids.
0: Actually, if we could take just a, like a moment, we'll get to the Wolves right after this. But since we're you're in such a unique position as somebody who covers the NBA from the UK, where basketball is desperately trying to find its foothold there. And you're somebody who knows a lot about the game. If you could just walk me through kind of the growth you've seen in basketball, if any, over your time being interested in it over there.
1: Yeah, so it's really, it is definitely growing on a grassroots level. And what I mean by that is like 10 years ago, if I walked down a UK street, even in a busy city, because I kind of live in the suburbs, so people's interests are a bit more. You know, straight line. But if you you go into Brussels now, you're going to see um, you're going to see jerseys, hats, gear. You you got people wearing some 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 shoes as well. Like there's that. I think that shoe culture helped. I think the Last Dance really helped as well because that came out right when we went into lockdown and people uh, were watching that because they had nothing else better to do really. Um, and like that people are actually this is pretty cool so that's definitely helped grow the game the problem we have in the uk actually getting people to play it is it's a very complex problem that a lot of people have kind of picked up on but the government don't fund basketball at any level so they'll fund things like dressage or all that all those like very even more niche sports because the dressage has its place, of course, but there's not like a national dressage league that's, you know, where players are earning $200 million in their contracts. Like, it, it's kind of frustrating to me because the game has so much potential to grow further and people are enjoying it. But it's almost like the government aren't funding it. They're closing down uh, gyms. I think I've heard some stuff in London where they're actually like, covering basketball hoops because they don't want people playing it. I don't quite know what the thinking there is, but it's like, it is really nice to see it growing. Obviously, there's not a lot of people who are covering it. There's like, there's Tom West, who does a really good job uh, over at Liberty Ballers. Uh, Hugh Hopkins as well. There's like a couple of guys who really cover it, but it's it's been really nice to see it grow. But I think like, I think the next step is getting people to play it and that's, that's that's kind of where it gets a bit frustrating to me
0: that's tough and especially since it's it's a complex game as well there's a yeah. lot of very really specific movements that you have to master to get good at basketball but it guess you uh, good at
1: other sports as well you know like a lot of my analysis like I will I mean I'll be bringing football into it a bit later for one of my kind of uh, theories about schemes and stuff it's like there are definitely similarities and if you talk to a lot of high level athletes they will watch they will watch other sports i mean and coaches as well like pep guardiola when he was at bayern munich because they have a basketball team he was like fascinated by their basketball team because it taught him about it taught him about his own sport like there's so many it makes us better at other sports but they're trying to hide it to fund the more middle class upper class sports it's definitely an issue
0: I was going to ask you, because I talked about this with, the episode isn't released yet, but with Joe Virai, who covers the Warriors, you know, Blind Pig. Do you think that Blind Pig is from somebody who is watching soccer, like switch the play through ball type action and thought, let's just put that into basketball?
1: Yeah, I do, because one of the ways that through balls are freed up is... I don't know the correct terminology but a, a lot of the ways you kind of free up a through ball is you actually have someone drop deep as the ball is being played you'll see it a lot on set pieces as well where like if there's a set piece from deep someone will be stood like five yards offside and they'll drop back in the defense like what the hell and then that kind of confuses them so I definitely can see the influence there for sure man.
0: Okay, so dropping my fascination with the UK and how basketball are intertwined. The Wolves, they trade for Rudy Gobert. They have D'Lo on the roster, who I think is probably largely underrated at this point in the NBA. They have Karl-Anthony Towns, an all-NBA big man. They have Anthony Edwards, the coolest athlete in the world, maybe. Just an awesome dude. And they have a bunch of other players. Some really interesting guys like Nas Reed and Jalen Noel, who... I think, man, if they had bigger roles on other teams, maybe there's a route to, like, starter, high-level starter careers for them. Who knows how it shakes out? But should we be looking at this Timberwolves team in that contender tier? I'm curious what you think about that.
1: Yeah, this was, of of the sort of questions boys. you this was the toughest one to answer because, like, I'm not looking at them as a title contender, and I don't, I don't even know if Tim Connolly and Chris Finch are right now, because I think they need some internal jumps. But, like, I imagine we're approaching the preseason. People are going to be doing their predictions for the standings, who makes the conference finals. People even whack brackets out in September, you know what I mean? And, like, I think it's at a point with the Wolves, like if someone puts them in the conference finals, I'm not going to argue with it. It's not where I would have it. Um I think the, the said they have to win a first round series this year, barring like, you know, a horrific injury crisis or something. But like, the, we I've spoken about the Raptors doing things unique. The reason I believe in this Wolves team is because I think they're playing in a way that I've not seen a big man pairing like this, to be quite honest. I know we've had the great big man duos of the past, but where I'm at with this team is like, Rudy is... It's a Hall of Fame defender, could win Depoy again. And then you've got Cat, who, like, Cat is the best shooting big man of all time. I know there's going to be people saying Dirk, but if you actually look at the numbers, it is Cat. And, it you know, it, it's a different game. Cat is definitely better off the movement as well. Um, obviously, Dirk was a greater player, but you you, you know where I'm at with that. Like, mm-hmm. the, the way teams attacked... Because when, when I look at contenders because I know I deep dive into the X's and O's quite a lot, but I kind of look at the absolute basic of kind of, if this team does this coverage against your best lineup, what do you do? And the thing that killed the Wolves last year was that teams would send a double, a blitz or whatever, a cat. And, you know, I love Jared Vanderbilt, by the way. Um, he's, he's incredible, but like, he is a non-threat on offense. He's not got the best hands. If you double cat in the low block you can't help off of Rudy Gobert because he's seven foot and Cat's Kat, Kat, a good passer. He's really improved that and I think that's the best skill. So I look at this team and I just see an insane amount of potential in that what they're doing, other teams might not necessarily have the counters to and other teams certainly won't be doing it because that big man pairing, though all of Gobert's offense is scheme generally, he's not really a post-up guy or someone who's going to attack off the dribble. That is a scary pairing for me. But the questions probably come more in in the backcourt and people's evaluation of those guys.
0: You bringing up the, the passing, I think, is really interesting because Cat has frustrated people at times, for sure, on some of the reads he made, especially against heavy pressure. But also he's been fantastical at times too. And just finding that consistent middle ground has been a huge part of his ascension. I'm also really interested about, You know, Kyle Lowry, Raptors fans will be really familiar with seeing the ball squirt out of like a double or something. Maybe DeMar gets doubled on the block after posting up a a small guard. If that ball comes to Kyle Lowry, as the defense attempts to catch up, some players kind of get into a reset because they can't make the read. They don't see where the defense is going. They can't find the guy. But Kyle Lowry was a player who could shift the defense back over to the strong side or sorry, back over to the weak side then find the duck in on the strong side, like against these moving defenses could find it. And D'Angelo Russell, I suspect, will be really, really great at not only directing the ball after it, you know, if he's above the break, it squirts out to him, not only finding guys on the perimeter, but also that might be a laser beam of a lob to, you know, Rudy or something like that. I think there's a lot of potential. The, The thing that would keep them from being contenders, the limitations, I'm curious what you view those as. I think, I think down the stretch, half court offense
1: could be an issue. Like with this pairing, I'm more worried about the offense than the defense. And I think some of that, like I'll, I'll hold my hands up there, is like the way I view the game. I'm the type if I'm playing like out of the park and I've got my team second, fourth in runs and thirtieth in runs against, I'm like, oh, I need more offense, right? I, I definitely sway more towards that side. But I think like. Half-court speed could be a problem for this team. Um, And I think that the key for me is finding the right third, sorry, finding the right fifth starter, because there are a lot of options there, which is good. It's better to have that than no options. But obviously you can have Cap, Gobert, Anthony Edwards and D'Lo. I think your options for the other one. I mean, I think he's probably, I think Austin Rivers has a chance to start for this team, whether he finishes games Then to you know you get you put Jaden in there at three and I think I mean he is an incredible defender man you know he is he is right in that top tier for me like things he can do his recovery speed if he makes a mistake I kind of know he's got a chance to recover which I think is a skill in itself obviously you'd rather they didn't make the mistake but they're not robots no player is never going to make a mistake recovery speed is important so the limitation for me it's all hypothetical questions it's kind of like the fifth starter what is the half court offense going to look like like is it going to get a bit stagnant with the two big men i hope it doesn't because cat is someone that teams theoretically teams are going to have to hard press on cat he's uh, we played the spurs last year it was about i think cat dropped his career high and they had like Jakob all doing soft closeouts on cat I mean, it's no surprise he went for his career high, man. Like, you have to worry about that, but it's how the other players fit in that definitely. I wouldn't say it concerns me, but it—that's what I'm looking at.
0: That yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I the Rivers point is not one I would have went to, but especially since you added the caveat, like not necessarily closing games. I can see the wisdom in that, especially just to get if. If the simplicity of his skill set makes things run a bit smoother to start things out, then I get that. But there's also that ceiling. Uh, McDaniels, it's a tragedy among Raptors fans because he was selected one pick before Malachi Flynn. And then you imagine, just it just so happens that the Raptors are running the scheme that McDaniels would fit into maybe best in the NBA. I'm, I'm still hurt about it, but he, he blows my mind. Uh, there's also some burgeoning on-ball stuff. Um and finishing stuff with McDaniels that I'm interested in offensively. But yeah, it's not, it's uh, it's not as glove in hand. Hand in glove, Jesus. It's not as hand in glove as maybe Rivers just because of skill set. That really interests me. The the interesting thing, so not only are you and Caitlin Cooper both, you know, very, very familiar with X, X's and O's and stuff like that. So you get to come and tell us about set actions on this, on these episodes, but When I talked to Caitlin, we got to reference the Indiana Raptors. Nate Bjorkren went to Indiana and took a large portion of the Raptors playbook with him. Chris Finch was an assistant coach with the Raptors for about half a season. They started running quite a few different, you know, variations of horns, some other sets that Chris Finch was, you know, he wanted to run these. And so the Raptors and the Wolves share a portion of a playbook now. And so it's not the, the Minnesota Raptors. We it doesn't have to be so raptor centric, but I'm curious what overlap you see between the two teams.
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question because like the, the thing with Finches is he has coached on like he's been with like Alvin Gentry as well. I want to say he was on the Rockets uh too. Like he's he's been around the block. The the main similarity I see uh is definitely the defensive. I guess versatility, aggressiveness, you could use either of those words. I think Finch is... It's hard to say because the Raptors have really drafted for Nurse's philosophy, I think. Whereas the Wolves, they've kind of... This is now really their first settled roster, so it's going to be interesting what it looks like. But Finch and Nurse are both similar to me in the sense they think outside the box. I said earlier that they don't just run the same sets that the contenders run. They're like, no... They think outside the box, man. And I think. And on that defensive aggressiveness, like I think towards the end of the season, uh the Wolves players were gassed from running those those blitzes. Because it's hard, it's really difficult. I will say, we have a very deep roster this year, the Wolves. Like there are that will help a lot more, I think. But with regards to like Finchie, I think he's the best thing to happen to the Timberwolves for a very long time. He's very good. I think you learn off nurse in the sense that like you have to be able to blitz your coverages. And I think as well, like I, I remember reading, I think it was Blake Murphy wrote a piece about how the Raptors allow corner threes on purpose. Am I right in that? I think
0: uh, cop- the, the, the term is democratic room protection coined by our pal Hank Ward, wherein the Raptors pull off of the strong side corner to send more help at the rim and create higher pickup points for people who are driving and they have the highest frequency of corner three pointers in the nba by far and and that's the thing for me i think finch and
1: nurse both accept that like with the modern nba with all the offensive greatness we have you 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 can't defend everything i know we like to think we can You kind of have to allow... You have to allow something because these guys are so good. These coaches are so creative. They're watching film from, you know, Europe where a lot of these creative offensive concepts on, like, the basketball action dictionary. A lot of them originate from European basketball, man. Like, there's so much you can do. And I think Finch is definitely, like, off that school where he's like, we need to mix things up. We can't just... Because I know... There is definitely an agenda against drop coverage on NBA Twitter, <laughs> but I, I can tell you as a guy who's just watched the Charlotte Hornets back, knowing a trap is coming is arguably worse because teens against the Hornets, they they knew this trap was coming and they knew that if they just made a certain step back, they either had an open roller or they just throw a little pass to someone lifting from the corner. Like, it's that defensive creativity and that defensive mix that I think I really like about Finch, and that's where I see the Nurse influence.
0: Uh, what, the, the point you make about drop, salient. Over these past few years in the NBA, I have no idea. I think it's because people view the highest peak of basketball as not drop defense, so they think that just strive for the highest. But drop defense allows can allow for a very, very strong defense. And, you know, of course, every team that wins has to have scheme versatility, but the Lakers and the Bucks and the Raptors, three years in a row, all of those teams ran drop a a large percentage of the time. And it was really interesting to see during those years, everybody said drop doesn't work. And three champions in a row played an immense amount of drop. What you said about playing similarly defensively, I was doing an episode of the now defunct bouncing around podcast and we were doing my game of the week was the Timberwolves. And I remember watching McDaniels and a Kogi flying around and I sat there and I said, Hmm, this looks quite familiar to something I saw in Toronto. So I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that there, there are definitely similarities as far as what they're doing. um, Defensively. Are there any pet plays? I know you're always running through the Timberwolves film to find like Maybe it's an ATO. Maybe it's a sidelines out of bounds play, right? So, well, those can be the same thing. Um, <laughs> but you're c- constantly cataloging interesting set plays. And is there anything that you think is, and we'll put the film on screen for anybody watching, but are there any plays that you find extremely interesting and in what advantage they create for the Timberwolves? So
1: Chris Finch's out of bounds plays, uh, they're really, really good. Um, I've put one on my timeline, which I'm happy to link you again, which is just like basically your point guard pops to the corner. So you have your best shooter inbounds, so it's Malik Beasley this year. Imagine this year it's going to be Brim Forbes, uh, although I don't know if he's quite as maybe comfortable as a passer, but he's going to have to be because someone has to run those sets. But you'll pitch it to the point guard in the corner and you have this little exchange between the point guard and the center and it looks like that the point guard is going to set kind of like some kind of a back screen for the big then he just pops to the corner obviously if he's open you take that but normally he's not and then then Beasley after he's passed the ball to him is going to pop and he's actually going to flare to the top of the screen that that's a really good one finch generally is extremely the thing i like that finch does and i will link you a play on this I'm actually going to do a video on it as well, but but it's a play where he will have the best shooter on the court, say wedge screen for cap, and then he will actually curl into the paint and then he will come out on an exit screen. I really like that because I think too many teams over the years, like when they run stuff for their shooters, it's really obvious. Like I used to cover the Miami Heat before they were I thought they were good, to be quite honest. And Wayne Ellington was like their most important player, mm-hmm. but it was it on offense. Like he was, it sounds weird to say that, but they when they were running stuff for him, it was kind of so obvious. But then when Bam started to develop, it was like, oh, hang on a minute, we can we can have these little slips to the rim off of these. But what Finch does really well is he links his offense together he puts his two most important players in an action that can have two outcomes rather than one. And I think that is so important. And like on the Raptors, that's what I want to see more of from the Raptors. You know, I I, I want to see more of that because I think it can get a little bit rigid and stagnant in there.
0: That's, it's such a great point. When And again, when I was doing that bouncing around episode, it's just something as simple as horns out that maybe it's a shot for Anthony Edwards. Maybe he gets a, a close out to attack or you just filter into an ant plus cat Pick and roll. That's in the NBA, having incredibly potent two man actions is basically the lifeblood of most offenses. It's not yeah. always that simple, but having a two man action that can break the convention of defense is really great. And the, the Wolves have that packaged in, especially as, you know, as you say, like, is there a big man duo <sighs> that's reminiscent of Cat and Rudy Gobert? The closest probably is like, Dirk and Tyson Chandler and even then that's not close that's like the foggiest idea of two silhouettes you know and yeah. to have a to have a guy like Cat and D-Lo and you know what well, you know who knows who it ends up being but maybe it's Cat, D-Lo and an ant in like these these three man actions like horns and you can just run tons of stuff you can use D-Lo as a screener and he can pop out if people overhelp, you know, and on the move, especially as he learns to kind of draw more fouls next year, probably too. It's just, it's, it's a lot of offensive pop. That's not something that, at least I don't think the Raptors and the Wolves share that in common as, as good as, uh, you know, like a Fred Van Vliet is the ghost screener and Pascal Siakam is on ball. That can be a great little two man action, but it's just, they don't have the wealth of offensive options that the Wolves have. I guess we'll see what happens with Scotty, but that would be quite a leap to get to where you could consider that threesome versus the threesome in uh, Minnesota. But yeah, that's, that's really interesting. The other thing I want to ask you about is hierarchy because there are people who correctly, anytime a big man is the leader or the best player on an offense, everybody constantly asks questions about the hierarchy of decision-making, right? We've seen it discussed in many different dialogues across many different teams. And Carl Anthony Towns, you know, with him being the focal point of an offense, since he's a big man, can get frozen out at times because just the conventions of the NBA, who handles the ball, how teams overload, you can freeze out a big man easier than you can freeze out a guard typically. I'm curious if you have an ideal hierarchy because maybe it's not intuitive for most people to look at the Wolves and say, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. But if you believe in hierarchies, maybe you do, maybe you don't, what is the kind of situation you'd like to see play out in in the, in the Minnesota, if that question makes sense to you?
1: No it, no, it absolutely does. And yeah, it's generally like, the reason a guard's harder to freeze out is because they're, they're the ones who bring the ball up, you know, and it's, especially with guys like Trey Young, like the moment they cross half court, they're a threat. Like people are guarding Trey Young, Honestly, even before he crosses half court, which is quite wild sometimes. But on that front, I think this is where Gobert helps in the hierarchy. It's harder to freeze Cat out of the game. when, Because generally to freeze Cat out of a game, you're having to aggressively front if he gets the ball, especially on that low block. Finch likes putting him on the on the left side of the court because then he can pass with his right hand. It's little things like that that Finch did that Thibodeau and Saunders definitely didn't. Um, but I think that's where go helps because I, I know it's a little bit simplistic, but I think in terms of analyzing a hierarchy, I think it has to be quite simplistic. So like we spoke about the Cavs the other day, for example, and it's like last year, if you trapped Darius Garland, you shut down their offense. So that's why they went and got Donovan Mitchell. Now, if you send something at cap, okay, well, We've got willing passers on the perimeter, especially D'Lo. He's not an elite playmaker, but he's he's a very good passer. You know, he sees things, in my opinion, pretty quickly. Even if necessarily his body can't keep up with it because he doesn't have a lot of burst. But um, like that low that low man high man pass to um, Rudy Gobert, like that. I think that is what I envision as part of the hierarchy. Because this is the first time I think in, I want to say in the Timberwolves era, where he has actually had a real low-down threat. We had Taj Gibson for a couple of years under Fibs. I know everyone laughs at Taj Gibson, like, oh, it's a those guys. Taj was good for the Timberwolves, but his thing was kind of more like sealing in the post. And also, Fibs' offense isn't very creative, so that's really all it was. But, like, now, he has got someone who can, t- who can not necessarily take the load off of him, but he can he can punish the types of coverage that take out the, out of the equation
0: is a, a proper release valve yeah
1: he is and i think you know finch also loves he loves running i think we're going to see a lot more delay this year possibly with with rudy at the top of the key we didn't see a lot of delay last year unless Nas reed was in the game because he is just extremely fluid um but i think I think the actions Finch runs like for me as someone who studies cross league, I would have Finch like top two or three in offenses, X's and O's. Like Quinn Snyder was just the god of X's and O's, but like Finch is right there. And I think I think we're going to see a lot of Pistol this year. I don't know if Pistol has to be guard to guard, but we run we've run those outlines before with Reed and Cat uh, as the guys uh, ready to receive the ball, and it's just like. There's so much potential, but when it comes down to a gritty half-court possession, a lot of the stuff people do to take her out can and will be punished. That's the way I see it.
0: The Raptors love like early offense. Pistol is a staple of some of the Raptors' looks as well, especially since they're they're so wingy. I was going to ask you because you brought up D'Lo playmaker versus passer, a distinction I love, Joe. The the passing skill. If you want to divorce from playmaking, you can have that conversation. And being a playmaker is all about creating advantages, mostly because you can't just passing skill your way to success. You have to compromise the defense at certain points. But the point you make about D'Lo being just an elite, elite, elite passer, finding like little you know pockets and and windows of of to pass into—that's great. And then the the limits on playmaking a little bit—that's uh that makes sense as well. And then, yeah, the the ILO stuff, I I can't wait to see it. Another thing I want to ask you, though, considering the Wolves, is they have guys like Nas Reed who, you know, Sports Info Solutions, SIS, put out this great metric where you see guys like Nas Reed are elite at maintaining advantages, you know? They they make good decisions, as you said, fluid decision-making, fluid on ball. They have a guy like Nas Reed. They have a guy like Jalen Noel who – if you go by as far as how he creates his own shot, getting to the rim, his jumper points per shot attempt, all that kind of stuff is also a darling. I'm curious what you think the back end of the the wolves looks like that that second unit what what type of well, maybe there's no difference in the type of offense they play, but who do you expect to lead those types of lineups? Yeah, the bench is gonna be really nice i
1: I think like Noel and McLaughlin are the first players. I look at. like McLaughlin. There there was a period where Wolves fans like thought he was going to get cut. I, I didn't really understand it myself. Like he's not perfect, but he is a good backup guard. They they run him through the offense as well. They run him on a play called Spurs backdoor, which I believe it's usually out of a pistol alignment where he would just pitch it to Kat or Reed or whoever it is, someone with real offensive prowess. It just cuts the rim, and it looks so simple. And I'm shouting on my TV, going, "How the hell does that work?" Because that's it's just a guy moving to the rim. There's nothing creative. But like J Mac and Noel, that that's a nice bench backcourt. You've got, I mean, the I looked at some of like Naz's lineup minutes, um, like his minutes last year. He didn't play a lot with Cat, but he did play a lot with Gobert. So like, when I saw he wasn't playing with Cat, I was a little bit worried. Like, is he going to get frozen out? But I think the the thing with Nas is that the reason I love that metric is because people would look at a Nas Reid, Jared Vanderbilt, pairing from last year and go, well, neither of them are great shooters. That's not going to work. But Nas, it's not that simple. Spacing is a continuous thing. And with how fluid and quick Nas Reid is, especially as a decision maker, like he's one of those that fits into the category. He may not make the right decision every time. If he makes a wrong one, he's going to make it quickly. So the offense... Can flow back into something else if that makes sense. He's just, I, it's a bit selfish of me because I feel bad that he's like the third center on this team. I think mm. he's good enough to start somewhere. I think he's a really fun player. I think he's brilliant. And then we got Torin Prince, who I didn't love the signing, but he was relatively good last year. Austin Rivers as well. Kyle Anderson.
0: Wow. He's, My great. God, I forgot yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's great.
1: Yeah, he's probably gonna be like the lead guy. I can't wait to see I can't wait to see how Finch meshes him with the rest of the the starters, to be honest. Like how's that how's that gonna look? Because you I mean you could theoretically play. I mean, I don't like to look at as theoretical, but if we're talking about lineup that like would would be fun to me, it'd be like Ant, Slow Mo, Jaden, Rudy and Kat. Like I know it's not the quickest lineup, but like the size, the passing, the playmaking, the things you can do with that. Like Slow-mo is going to be a dream player for Finch. I could see him using him as a lot as like a second screener, and then he, he'll he pop and flow into another action. I think that's something Finch really likes to do.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, connective stuff. Slomo has been great everywhere, basically, especially with coaches that feel inclined to use him properly. He was a dream man in in with the Grizzlies, whether it was like linking up with jaw or linking up with Jonas when he was still there, there was just so much that they were able to do that I think was, was awesome. Um, back to the Raptors though. We we've discussed a little bit about the Raptors, but mostly the, the wolves on this, which is good. There's, you know, 29 episodes for people to hear about the Raptors and only one about the wolves. But I'm curious, we talked a little bit about OG, a little bit about Pascal, and the overall scheme play style that the Raptors are trying to achieve. But is there anything else among that team that interests you?
1: I think the thing that interests me is like is when I watch this team, I like I find myself trying to solve the offensive scheme. And they, they bring up a really in- interesting question for me is like because I'm I'm watching a lot of this film and I've I've got all these plays in my head and like I kind of think to myself. Do these plays work without a role, man? That that's kind of what's been coming back to me. So I was thinking of delay, for example. Like Rick Carlisle for me is the delay king. Like he he I'm gonna write one day I'll write an article on delay and how everyone runs it. But a lot of the counters that Rick would run out of delay involve Dwight Powell, mm-hmm. who isn't I mean he's not great at anything else, but he's a great role man. Okay. So like I just look at this Raptors team and I'm like I want to be critical at them for the for the X's and O's because it can be a little bit bland. There is some good stuff, like you'll know this play, but there's a play you run where you literally have three players stood on one side. Pascal brings the ball up and Fred Van Vliet goes screens. I love that play. So there's like good stuff scattered in there, but I just find myself watching it like I want more. But it brings up the question: How important is a role man? Every team needs one because you get that rim pressure. That's how you set up things like veer. But there's definitely more the Raptors could do. But like, I, I guess it's a question for you. Like, do, from that creativity perspective, do you put it on this? Do you put it on the staff? Like, is that something Raptors fans kind of say? oh, nurse needs to do more, or is it a roster thing?
0: So that's really interesting that you bring that up, and you get to the heart of something. Because there are people like myself who have lamented the amount of pick and roll, for example, that Pascal Siakam has been able to run. And there is a there's a fine question that you could answer back with like, oh, does does Pascal not want to run pick and roll or is Nick Nurse not giving him enough pick and roll to run? And, you know, kind of, you know, those two battling ideas. But Pascal ran a lot of pick and roll in this most recent playoff series, and it went really well. Another thing is that some people have been noticing, and I love the part about doing this series. Is that some people, like yourself, get to the heart of the issue after watching, you know, a few games or being from the outside looking in, right? And you said, "What about a roller?" And that is such a great question when you consider these Raptors because they don't have a roller. Thaddeus Young has had a lot of success as like a short roll king. When we think back to those those Bulls teams were Thaddeus you know, the Thagic stuff started coming along and Boucher has some pop as an all the way to the bucket guy. Precious Achua is really athletic and has pop too, but he doesn't have the pacing to maintain the pacing or the intention to maintain passing windows and all that kind of stuff. They don't have any role gravity. Rarely can they ever get a tag. They cannot collapse the weak side. So the playmaking get stagnated in a lot of ways and they have to reset and then work into the bully drives and stuff like that for a Scotty or a Pascal, maybe even an OG. They're very limited by the lack of a roller. I'm very glad you picked up on that. Does that mean that the staff has to find a way to make it work without a roller? I think that there's some, we talked about this with Caitlin Cooper about trying to imagine some new stuff they can do offensively, especially around their post-ups. But I, I think that there's meat on the bone as far as how they can scheme, but I also think you bring up one of the man, this is at the heart of their half-court issues, the lack of a roller. Coloco, you know, there's a there's a there's film of Fred Van Vliet saying, wow, I haven't had that in a long time after throwing a lob to Coloco at a Rico Hines run. There's, you know, he was, I think largely the consensus was that he struggled immensely at Summer League. Some of the Rico clips, he looks good. Me personally. I don't like doing the off-season tape analysis thing. So I need to see Coloco in preseason and then in the regular season before I say, hey, the, the role problem is solved. Because I talked to Zach Milner, who we both know, who watched like 92 Arizona games of Coloco. And he said rolling isn't a strength. So we're going to see what happens with that. But you bring up the one of the biggest issues for sure. Very, very insightful. So
1: what? One of the things I kind of thought about with the Raptors, because it doesn't look like you're going to get a role man in. I and mean, then I don't know who's available and I don't know if nurse will play them anyway. Um, but I thought like in terms of getting some movement in the paint before the screen. So I thought about maybe three actions came to mind. Chin, Ram and Spain. Those are the ones that all came to mind because they're not perfect, but at least you get some kind of defensive movement. Because like the thing for me is the better your offense personnel is, the more simple your offense can be. You know, like the Hawks, they don't run anything special. They just run a high pick and roll. You yeah. have Trey and Capella and shooters, and they were the best offense in the league last year.
0: Can I can I tell you was. an interesting thing? The drag screen with John Collins was the most efficient pick and roll for forever, and the second most efficient pick and roll was the screen with Capella. It's just like. You're Trey yeah. young. You have offense. It's crazy. It, it,
1: it's a mastery. And that's like the Raptors have to get more creative than the Hawks do. Cause like the Hawks, their problem is an offense. Like, let's yeah. be real. We can say, oh, it's a bit big. That's not why they're not going to achieve their goals. But the Raptors, like, I think there's definitely things that can be done. Like I thought about delay at first, but then like most of the counters out of delay, you need a roll man really at the top of it or. So, but they they need to use Pascal as a screener more. I don't really quite understand why they why you don't. Uh, to be honest, I think
0: that, they like and- they like having him as the release valve and not waiting on like because if you're the screener, teams can overload sometimes. There's a if you find time, there's a game around the start of January, I believe, against the Clippers where they spammed. A Fred on ball, Pascal screening, pick and roll to win the game, and it was just because they were getting that switch. But it, it was it was you know screening to switch rather than screening to get downhill, catch on the short roll, stuff like that. But you're you're completely right. Pascal's skill set, he should be able to eat alive on the short roll, basically.
1: One of the things I'd like to see the Raptors do as well with Siakam, that I think the Warriors do really well, is they use their bigs as screeners to sort. It's almost like a fake screen, essentially, where you're kind of, because I felt the Raptors' offense, though we've spoken about his defense, like the Raptors' offense was better, I thought, when Gary Trent was in the game, because at least there was some form of, of action being run, even if it wasn't, it definitely wasn't coming from the coaching staff. There were a lot of, like, one of the things I noticed is some of your big men would, like, set, like, de facto their screens at times. And that's because Trent was in the game and you want to free him up. But like, I like the idea of using Siakam as a screener in those off-ball actions because you can get him rolling to the rim. You can maybe, I mean, I spoke about that wedge play earlier, which I will send to you after this in the water. And you could run that with, uh, with Pascal for sure. Like, you know, you can get him to the low block. Sort of out of the disguise of something else i think that's something the raptors can do a little bit more of because it to me it just seemed a bit like they were kind of accepting that they don't have the right personnel that's the vibe i got when i watched the tape it was just like oh we don't have a role man so this is this is it and it's like i i get that but at the same time like there's definitely stuff they can do i think
0: and and additionally is is fred equipped to be the decision maker because gary trent definitely isn't og Ananobi is a guy who i think is really great passing on the move and really great making those in interior you know lay downs and stuff like that those passes but scotty and pascal are the guys who could make the pass to the roller but are also the guys who should be the roller and you talked about chin the raptors have horns chin punch which is basically They actually ran it a little bit with Precious and had some success, so good for Precious there. But Pascal and Scotty, they're alternating between being the passer and also being the guy who's kind of trudging into the paint to, to kind of blow things up in there. So it's a very fragile offensive ecosystem. And like you said, Gary Trent, just because he's a shooter, can can make it work but i think that's that's a great place to leave off as far as raptors wolves is there anything regarding either team that you'd like to to sign off with so that the the listener knows maybe this extra nugget of info uh
1: no not to be the only thing i forgot to bring up earlier is because i was, said i was going to bring up football as well um when i look at like Defensive versatility. I think teams should use drop defense. So, like teams that press and gig and press in football, they will have rest periods where they don't press because you can't press for ninety minutes. Your players are all gonna, you know, they're all gonna be on oxygen masks by Mm -hmm. you know ten games into the season. So, I think you can use drop coverage as that kind of rest period where you kind of go. We're not gonna have you running around the court blitzing and hedging and trapping and having to make all these X outs, just run a little bit of drop coverage, almost to, not that it's easy, but it's easier than flying about, in my opinion. So that's just mm-hmm. something I wanted to bring up. And I think that's something that I would say Finch will probably do more this year with Rudy Gobert because Cat is not a drop big at all. Uh, he just struggles with the angles. He always has mm-hmm. and he probably always will. But I think that that was the only other thing I really want to bring up. It's like you can use, drop is extremely valuable because it you could use it for that for that purpose as well
0: that's that's bang on we're, we're completely agreed on drop uh joe i think we're agreed on this being a great episode But before we get out of here man uh plug yourself tell the people where to find you what your plans are for this upcoming season all that good stuff
1: yes my at is uh joe holbert nba um i'm going to be covering the Wolves, possibly another team as well but uh, kind of waiting and seeing on that um Yeah, I think mainly I do a lot of video breakdowns where I try and like break down some complex concepts and so everyone can understand them. And ultimately, as I always say, like the naming of the plays isn't what matters. What matters is that you can tell why it's working and tell that story.
0: Uh, picking up advantage is more important than knowing play types. But knowing play types, if you're a guy like Bowser to Bowser or you're a coach, it helps, uh, I guess, communicate things in that realm. But yeah. if you're a basketball fan and you notice what's creating advantage, it's not important that you know what it's called. It's just important that you notice it. So, uh, Joe, thank you very much for coming on, man. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, man. And listener, viewer, whichever it is, if you're on YouTube, I guess like the video that helps. If you're on the podcast channel, enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, yeah, we're going to get out of here. More of these episodes coming soon. Hope you enjoyed this one. Learned a lot about the Wolves. Maybe something about the Raptors as well. So take care out there and we'll see ya.